Welcome to episode 177 of Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. What's going on, Andrew? Not too much. I am talking into the correct microphone tonight. Yeah, I will say your microphone sounds much better over the air tonight. Yep. Um, I'm thinking when we get to 200, I'm going to stop counting. I feel like that's a good stopping point. Well, I mean, we need to have some kind of a count in order to... I don't know, just identify the episode. I mean, it's in the notes. You could figure it out. Okay. We'll just won't tell people. Well, no, it's in when I when you upload them. Episode 201. I mean, secret number. Yeah. Um, what have you been up to? Uh, not a ton. I did a uh, nice scenic drive today in the Eclipse. Went out and got lunch somewhere pretty far from home and came back. Yeah, I saw you... Other than that, uh, you did one the other day too, or no? Where, where was that gas station picture, or the fake gas uh, station? Yeah, that was a week. That was a week ago, Martin Luther King Day. I was off, and nobody was around, so I took a ride up by myself. That was up in um, Yarnell, Arizona, mm-hmm. which is unfortunately famous for where the nineteen firefighters lost their lives battling a wildfire a few years back. Oh, that's right. So. Neat little historic town, some interesting things. Apparently that gas station that I stopped in front of is a residence now. Somebody lives there, which is pretty much my dream. So kudos to them for restoring an old gas station and living in it. Yeah, that's neat. Pretty neat place. Yeah, definitely neat place. I do have a correction. Oh, yeah? From last week, we were speaking about um, watching Volvo's Drag Race at... The roadkill zip tie drags, right? Um, and I mentioned the fact that the thing ran like nines, so it probably wasn't a four cylinder Volvo motor anymore, right? Uh, and I was quickly corrected um, by friend of the show and previous guest and co driver of Spaghetti Rallygar, and also multiple Volvo owner that red blocks can do nine second quarter miles, which a red block is the name of the four cylinder Volvo engine. Yeah, it's the uh, the iron block one. Yeah, yeah, the B twenty one, I think it's called. So I did a little research. Yeah, so they're 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 painted red. I think is what from the factory, and that's why you call them a red block. I would guess that's why they call it a red yeah. block. Yeah, um, but I I did a little research and found out the fastest red block Volvo on record is that still has a stock, well, a relatively stock engine instead of a swap. Hmm. Um, in a C70 in Europe, which here is a front-wheel drive car and is there too, but it's a tube chassis full drag car, still has a four-cylinder Volvo red block with a 16-valve head. Um, the car runs, or the fastest run is a 720 at 190 miles an hour. Whoa. And that's a... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is that a European quarter mile or a... I believe the European quarter mile is the same as an American quarter mile. So I think we're okay. Well, I don't Sometimes I, I do like eighth mile there. So no, this, this is a full quarter mile. Okay. Yeah. They do a lot of eighth mile in the States now do actually, but no, this, this is a, a, a full quarter mile traditional drag strip. So yeah, 720 at 190 miles an hour. Hmm. So with that four cylinder Volvo engine. So I stand corrected. Those Volvo engines apparently can be, tuned to make some serious power. And that's the fastest one. So I'm sure there's others that are in the 7s, 8s, 9s, 
tens. But obviously, it's a guy uh, named Per Ericsson, who you would think would be driving a Volvo drag car. Yeah, that sounds accurate. So, yeah, so he is. So yeah, it's a B21 powered rear wheel drive converted C70. So I don't know if the C70 came with a B20. I probably could have because they made that engine until 98. I'm not sure if there's a front drive variant of it, but I guess there must have been. So, but yeah, the, the, B, the B21 is kind of, it's almost like Volvo's 4G63. They made it from 74 until 98. So, yeah, it was kind of in everything for a long time. But anyway, that's my pedantic correction for the week from last week. Okay. Fair enough. Yep. The, uh, don't get our Volvo facts wrong. Okay. Um, Daytona 24 hour roll. Oh, sorry. Rolex 24 hour that, uh, wrapped up today. Actually. Yep. We were talking about it earlier. Started watching it yesterday. Um, pretty interesting race. It didn't rain this year. So they managed to break the lap distance record. Uh, yeah, by, by a good margin too. Yeah. The previous was in eight, 2018 was eight Oh eight. Uh, cause it poured in 2017 when I was there. Uh, and they spent most of the time under caution. And then, so this year they ran 8.33. Which is my mileage, yeah. Six caution flags. It's 833 laps, yeah. So the most distance. Sorry, yeah, laps. Uh, There's way more than that in miles because it's, what, two and a half miles around the track? Yeah, it's something around, ooh, off the top of my head. I remember seeing facts about it when I was watching the car coverage. It's, I want to say it's between 2,500 and 3,000 miles. In 24 That's hours. That's crazy amount of mileage. Mm-hmm. Uh, smallest field, 38 cars. Um, but I don't know. Seemed like the competition was pretty good. Definitely between. Yeah, it was pretty close all day. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of. A lot of times you'll see after you know 20 hours of racing, you'll see somebody who's up by like seven laps, eight yeah. laps. And there there wasn't a lot of no, that. No, it was mostly year. like maybe at the end they're up like one or two laps. Uh, or they're still on the the lead but kind of towards the back lead lap um no but it was uh you know like it's pretty wild that wayne taylor racing has won three out of the four of the last rolex 24s as overall yeah it's an impressive number so the racetrack is 3.5 miles long yep so doing doing some quick math 3.5 miles times well, how many how many laps was it you said? Uh, 833 833 calculating calculating so 833 times 3.5 miles yep is a lot of miles it is a lot of miles so 20, 20, 2915 miles okay in a 24 hour period at race speeds yeah so you figure you know the most you ever normally do on a like a road trip is this maybe a thousand miles in a day? Yeah. So doing twenty nine hundred over a twenty four hour period is crazy. Now put that into perspective with uh, something we're going to bring up a little bit later: a coast to coast mileage rally. Yeah. So they did. What was their mile? Their time from coast to coast, New York to LA. Thirty. Well, thirty hours. Thirty one. Thirty one hours 30. and four minutes. 
So their average speed was not much slower than the average speed of a 24-hour of Lamar race. Yeah. I mean, if they don't race, mm-hmm. that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, it's it was it was neat to see them break the record. It was neat to see a race go, tw- you know, 2,900 miles. It's absolutely insane. So, and they made a good point while watching the race. I was listening, you know, to the commentating, and they're talking about how, you know, the drivers have, you know, multiple drivers, so they can do two or three-hour stints sometimes. And then while there's two other drivers driving, the other driver can relax and, and rest and get ready to get back in the car again. But the one, the people who don't get to rest are the team, the pit crew, the team managers, the spotters, all these people are just going, going, going for a full 24 hours, which is an athletic feat in itself, let alone the drivers of the cars. Yeah. And I know they were concerned about the amount of tires that they were allowing them because they were going to go so long. They looked at the weather and they figured, well, we're going to go so long on a green that mm-hmm. I think during the night I uh, kind of watched some of it and then fell asleep on the couch. But I know they're talking about a lot of the cars during the night time were doing double stints on uh, tires. Yeah. So they get the they make sure they had fresh tires for, you know, the basically the, the sprint race it turns into at the end. Well, one of the reasons they can do that at nighttime is because the temperatures are so much cooler. Yeah. Um, it was down in the mid 40s overnight. So when the air temperature is so much cooler, the track temperatures are so much cooler and tires last obviously a lot longer under cooler conditions because they don't, you know, chunk up under the heavy heat conditions during the day. So they can run them longer if they run less aggressively at nighttime. They're also talking about the fact that the cars run so much faster at night because they're, yeah. they're, they're cooler and, you know, just the way everything goes at nighttime, the cars just run so much faster. But they have to remember that and actually slow down at night because they wind up wearing out more brake parts. Huh. You know, and they wind up wearing out those tires that they want to save for the daytime stints later on. But yeah, so the faster the cars run, the more brakes you use up. And the more brakes you use up, you don't have, you only have so many you can change during the race. So. Yeah, and they were talking about how because the air thickens up, the cars end up with more downforce. Yep, just something I didn't really think about, but yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then it was cool to see, um, Kurt, no, sorry, Kyle Busch running. Kyle Busch, yeah, NASCAR um, NASCAR champion, two-time NASCAR Cup champion. Yep, first uh, sports car race, mm-hmm. running with uh, Vassar right. Sullivan Racing. Yeah, which is the Lexus team, the kind of like mm-hmm. highlighter yellow Lexus. Mm-hmm. It was funny listening to him talk about the difference between driving a NASCAR car and driving that car because they're both on the surface very similar V8 rear engined, you know, right. full tube frame race cars. Um, but then the IMSA car is a, you know, paddle shifted dual clutch style gearbox and full independent suspension all around with traction control and ABS. And all kinds of technology that his NASCAR doesn't have, whereas NASCAR mm-hmm. has a big round steering wheel, and the IMSA car has like a bat bat wing style steering wheel, like a uh, there's a name for those kinds of steering wheels, and I can't remember them. Oh um, yeah, yeah, a butterfly, like butterfly steering wheel. Thank you. Yeah, so they have a butterfly steering wheel and paddle shifts versus the four speed manual and a big round steering wheel, and they were showing an in car difference of how he sits in his NASCAR car versus how he was sitting in this car. Um, yeah. And they were talking about the era of IMSA racing that we're in now, that the technology has come to the point where the gap between a super professional race car driver and a gentleman racer has closed because yeah. all of the cars have all these, you know, traction aids and braking aids and they're, and, you know, 
dual clutch automatic shifted gearboxes and they're just they're a lot more driver friendly than they used to be it used to be that a gentleman racer could go out and you know set a decent time but a professional racer would just you know mop the floor with them whereas nowadays the gap is a lot smaller and the one of the big things they were talking about his advantage as a nascar driver is drafting knowing how the drafts work experiencing mm-hmm. the cars being really close and doing drafting where a lot of the sports car drivers aren't as used to the drafting on the high speed ovals. So yeah. they were, they were explaining the, the side draft, yeah. um, which I don't know if you heard that part of the broadcast. I didn't know how I, it worked. I, well, I didn't see it. I didn't hear that part, but I watched him do a side draft and they'll go, there yeah. he goes. He's doing a side draft. Yeah. Do you know how the side draft works? No, but I'm, I know the term, but I don't know exactly how it works. So what they do is they take the front, quarter of the car like in front of the wheel and they put it behind the so they put like the driver's side front corner of the car next to the passenger side rear corner of the car they're passing and what happens is as their car is cutting through the air all the air hits the front of the car goes up into the air over the car and out to the left and the right of the car yeah and so as the air goes up and over the car and pushes off to the left and right all that expelled air actually hits the spoiler of the car that he's side drafting and puts a ton more downforce on that rear spoiler. And it gives the effect almost of dragging the brakes on that car. Oh, so it slows the other it's, car down? It doesn't, doesn't actually make their car faster. It makes the other car slower. Oh, weird. Right. I had no idea how that worked. I mean, I've seen it done in NASCAR and I've heard the term, um, but I wasn't quite sure of the actual physics of it. And hearing hearing them explain it, because uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was actually one of the commentators of the race. Yeah, so he, he did a great he, job. Yeah, it was honestly, I didn't even know it was him when I first saw him. Yeah, <laughs> but he knows all the NASCAR terminology and how the NASCAR stuff works. So it was neat to hear him explaining, you know, the different aero stuff that happens on a high speed oval. Um, and I've always thought that it made the passing car faster somehow. But no, it's it actually puts drag on that rear spoiler of the car you're passing and oh. has the effect of actually applying the brakes on the car. So so you see them do it and they'll go by like the guy's sitting still, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's almost like the guy put the brakes on because that's exactly what happens. So, yeah. Because these cars have way more downforce too than a NASCAR, so the effect so much more downforce. Yeah, but I, they also mentioned that NASCAR cars are changing again for next season. Yeah, uh, not every race, I guess, though. Yeah, they're going to run under spoilers. They're going to run center lock wheels. Uh, among you know some of the bigger changes, I think the biggest change is the independent rear suspension. Oh, I didn't hear that part. Yeah, are they? Are they going to run more rovals? I feel like they were talking about that too. There's, there's more. There's definitely more road courses on the agenda for next year. So that's part of what's making this change. Also, part of what's making this change is there is no car on the road that identifies like a NASCAR anymore. You know, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't go out there and buy a V8 four-speed solid or axle car. It just doesn't exist. Right. So now they're adopting to a little bit more modern style of a car. It's still going to look like a NASCAR. It's not going to be any drastic change. It's not going to be like a stock Camry body with a tube frame under it. It's still just going to be a, a NASCAR style race car, but they're adopting a few more technology changes for next year. So it almost sounds like they're going more towards like an Australian touring car style. Yep. yep. Which is going to be good. Yeah. It'll make you watch a lot more races. Yeah. I mean, they do need to do something to get people back. Uh, it seems like, you know, viewership's probably down. They're trying down different- a ton. So the traditional NASCAR fan has not been watching NASCAR. Yeah. So you might as well go after a different demographic now then. So let's make it more exciting. Let's make it more modern. Let's make it more relatable. Um, and let's make it more like 
what successful racing series the rest of the world are doing. And NASCAR does own IMSA, so maybe they're pulling some knowledge from IMSA to try yeah, to possibly. And I I like it when I see a, a NASCAR driver jump into a sports car series. I mean, watching yeah. Jeff Gordon run with Wayne Taylor Racing a few years ago that was super cool. Yeah. Or, Dale, or speaking of Dale Earnhardt Jr. when he ran with the um, the Corvette Racing Team. Yep. Yeah. No, it's cool because they it, they really are people discredit them. No, they're really good drivers. Like they're. Yeah, yeah, most of them are pretty pretty well rounded. Yeah, they came up driving, you know, on dirt tracks. A lot of them, mm-hmm. uh, or like you know, somebody like Jeff Gordon probably could have been. He probably could have gone into Formula One if he'd gone a different route because he did come up like racing carts. Yeah, I'm sure he. It could've. was just the the fact that he went from carts and didn't go into like Indy. He went into NASCAR instead, so that's that's where that came from. Yeah, so. and. It- Paved, paved the way for a very successful career in NASCAR. Yeah. So he, he might he might have been a, a middle of the pack guy somewhere else, but exactly. he was a you know he was a superstar at NASCAR. I mean you couldn't you couldn't attend a NASCAR event in the nineties without you know seeing a sea of rainbow shirts. Yeah, which is a subtle irony there, but we'll leave it alone. Um, yeah. So overall, the race was pretty cool. Um, I was kind of bummed to see the ladies' team. Can't remember what the, the Lamborghini. Name. Team. Um, they're yeah, they're running a Lamborghini, and the thing caught fire with like twenty hours to go. Oh, did it really? Yep. So I saw it stall. It stalled out in the nighttime sometime. Yeah, is that when it caught fire? No, it was like okay. this morning when I got up. I had just turned the TV on, and and uh, um, what I forget the driver's name, Christina something. Did you say twenty hours to go or two hours to go? Twenty. Uh, sorry, the four, it was. 20 hours have 20 gone hours by. passed. Sorry. Okay. Four hours to go. And uh, that makes more sense. Because last night, when in like four hours had passed, that car stalled at the entrance to pit lane. Yeah. Um, and they had to tow it in. And it was actually infuriating watching them tow it in because they kept letting this, the, the tow strap go slack. Oh. And then they'd pull it and just jam the car forward. Oh. And then strap would go slack again. And I was like, no, drag the brake. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure that a race car, you can't just drag the brake like that. I'm sure there's some reason they, they know what they're doing. But it was funny because I was sitting here being very frustrated by it. And Naomi was sitting next to me like, I'm sure they know what they're doing. And then um, Rutledge Wood, who was the pit commentator, which is also an awesome addition to the race because he did a really good job as well, uh, came on and he's like, well, I guess they don't know how to tow a car. <laughs> he's like, they didn't come up in the woods of Georgia towing cars around all over the place. Yeah. So that was really funny. Um, oh, and then. Speaking of four hours in, watching the number seven of Team Penske, who was being driven, that was being driven by uh, Castro Neves, uh, yes, got spun by the number five Mazda, Mazda. Uh, Harry Ticknell. And uh, I mean, like the car was wrecked and Castro Neves was fine. And mm-hmm. but his reaction on camera, like he was so mad. It was like kind of funny how mad he was. It was very genuine. Yeah. Put it that way. It was. It was like how you would be if you got an accident and it wasn't your fault yeah. and somebody else crashed you out of a race four hours into a twenty-four yeah. hour race. <laughs> he's like, it's four hours. We have we have twenty hours to go. Like he's like, I was trying to go easy. <laughs> there was no need to try to like pass him on the inside of that corner. He could have just waited. And and I, I will him. say that. What was the Mazda driver's name? Sorry, I'm a Harry Ticknell. Okay, so Tickbill's. Uh, apology afterwards yeah. was pretty genuine. It sounded, yeah. you know, he was like, I was racing him. Maybe I shouldn't have, this is going to be my fault. I apologize. 
So at least he came clean and and said something. I was actually rooting for the Mazdas this event, um, just because they've had such bad luck in endurance racing. I mean, since the dawn of time, <laughs> since the dawn of Mazdas in endurance racing, they've had a lot of hard luck years. With you know, the exception of a couple of bright spots here and there in their you know four rotor seven eight seven seven six seven B days, um, they've had some some real real tough luck in in endurance racing. So he, it was nice to see them finish in the top of the pack. Yeah, the penalty was a real bummer. He, the leading Mazda team in the white car, I don't remember the team's name. Really bad with these stuff type of stuff. This is why we're not a yeah, normal hard. a race commentary podcast. Um, yeah. So we'll take your hate mail. But uh, I know he did get in the, the driver and the team did end up with a drive through penalty because they accidentally passed under a local yellow. And, you know, they showed it. Yeah, night, it's dark. They, <laughs> it was super hard yeah, to tell. But they also they passed out of class cars. Exactly. So how, which can, is, you, how can you tell? Because you, you've got so much more yeah. speed than those other cars. So it was kind of lame, but whatever. They took it, and I know they did kind of come back. But and then, well, was, the the, wing, the winning Cadillac team had a drive-through penalty too for a pit lane speed limit. So yeah, no, it was um, it wasn't pit lane speed limit. They were coming down. Well, the red the red light at the end of pit lane. It literally flipped on as he was about to exit. Like it was kind of BS, but um, they had to come back around, I think, and stop, or they stopped for sixty seconds. It was like really painful you know when it, well a really long penalty yeah. but they still managed to win the race so so anyway it's a super cool race uh i definitely want to go back and see it yeah so weekend. i i got excited about it watching it um and i was like you know what? i'm gonna try to follow the imsa series this year mm-hmm. um a little closer than i have in the past because it's really good racing it's very um, good racing there was there was a couple of really good battles between the number 911 porsche 911 yep and the bmw m6 yep uh, and it was really fun watching the two of those cars duke it out on track. And then the number 911 and the number 912 Porsche were actually battling each other, much, I'm sure, to the dismay of the team. Yeah. Um, but there was a, a lot of really good racing. So I was actually looking at the schedule um, for the rest of the year. And the race in Long Beach is yeah. in April, I think. Yeah. Uh, and living out here, it's not a huge no. commitment to go to Long Beach for no. a weekend. And um, you can go and to drifting. ticket. A ticket for the whole weekend of event, the three-day pass, is 100 bucks. Yeah. So there's IMSA, IndyCar, Drifting, um, and Stadium Super Trucks. Yep. All on the track at the, over the weekend. So uh, we're definitely going to go to that. We've already made the choice, choice for that. Yeah. Um, I can also drive to Laguna Seca. There's an event there. Yeah. And they're uh, so they should be going. I think Sebring is next because they kind of stay in Florida. Uh, Sebring is next. Yeah. It was a cool race to go but, to. Um, I've always wanted to go to Laguna Seca. Yeah. Well, Laguna Seca is pretty close by. And um, so maybe you should fly out for it because it's not a big deal. Um, also, I, I'm going to happen to already be in Michigan the week week up leading up to the Bell Island um, Grand Prix, which has. Yep. The IndyCar and the IMSA race. So we may just go to that too because we're going to be there anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think they usually do that. And then they go to Watkins Glen and then they go to Lime Rock, which I still right. have not been to Watkins Glen. I really, really need to go to Watkins Glen for something. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's on the schedule for something. Not that far. I still, watch, I still want to watch NASCAR exactly. there. Exactly. It's not that far. So It's only six hours from here. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. This might not be the year with having a baby on the way and a four-month-old baby at the time but we'll see yeah for you not me yeah 
<laughs> Stephanie put on the baby registry some baby earphones or headphones, so ear protection. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think four months is probably not good for baby at a NASCAR race. <laughs> uh, whatever. Probably Lime Rock though. It's a lot quieter there. Probably the historics. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Oh, the historics are fine. A lot quieter. Yeah. Um, and that's that's later. That the baby's almost six months old by then. Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Can't stop our car stuff. Nope. Kids can't get in the way. Nope. Um, Just a little bit in the way. Uh, Stephanie's into it. Um, so this afternoon, uh, I was kind of bored Sunday afternoon. I remembered I had purchased, I hadn't watched it yet, the Apex, the Secret Race Across America. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed we're talking about this tonight because I haven't watched it yet. Uh, you should definitely watch it. Uh, it's like I fully plan on it. It's like 15 bucks or something. I just bought it on Amazon because I like the people in it. I just wanted to support them. Um, oh, for sure. We even know one of them now, personally. Yeah. Uh, which is neat. Um, so it's it's basically, so it's the story. It's not the story of the cannonball. It's nope. the story of what came after the cannonball, which is much less known. The U.S. Express. So it was all the people. The cannonball only ran till like, 79. Uh, and then people were like, well, I still want to do this, but we want to do it like real seriously like it's not a joke we want to try to this is a race like it's it's sort of about the 55 mile an hour speed limit no but it's really like no we want to do some outlaw speed racing across the country and see who can do it yeah. fastest and yeah they, they 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 made it about the 55 mile an hour speed limit that was their whole reason for starting it the whole yeah. Yates thing so that was that was his like his justification for doing it was to protest the 55 mile an hour speed limit yeah and the roads that we have here could be used like Jeremy's Audubon, which ironically apparently is getting more speed limits. Um, I heard that the other day. So what's well, also that's probably the factor of the manufacturers making cars that can do 235 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, but it, it's super cool. It's uh, so that, you know, it's all old footage from the eighties. It's like such an, and they even say in the movie, it's like such an eighties thing. Like just people being completely insane, doing crazy things with these cars. And then uh, apparently, so when you watch it, you'll notice that there's a woman riding with them that's filming it. And they don't really mention her name that much. And I kind of missed this story, but her name is Corey Wells. Okay. And if you remember like back in 2012, there was promos for this thing called 32 hours and seven minutes for a movie and it was going to be about the u.s express and i guess part of this was she got alex roy to help finance making this movie and part of that deal must have been her also filming his attempt so the attempt that they show in the movie is from like oh five or oh six. Oh, i was mistaken i thought this was about the most recent attempt no Oh, so, so you don't know somebody in this movie. Never mind. <laughs> no. So Alex, Alex Roy did not want to release any of this stuff till the statute of limitations was up. Um, I mean, that makes an honest amount of sense. Yeah, and if you've read, I have his and don't book, do don't do outlaw shit if you don't want to go to jail. <laughs> yeah, I have his book about this stuff, and it goes into super super detail about it. But you know, meticulously planned it, and all the things he was waiting for all the statute of limitations to be up and then he would release all the footage. Um, and, but anyway, 
I vaguely remember this movie being teased and then wondering what happened to it. And then I kind of forgot. So I was like, hmm, I wonder what, you know, I want to know about that movie because 32 hours, seven minutes is about the guys in the Ferrari 308 that did the race. And I guess a lot of people didn't believe them that they did it in 32 hours and seven minutes back then. Right. They just didn't know. So they just couldn't figure out how they did it because they, they claim it was the, it was, they do like three speeds. They do stopped 55 miles an hour or 155 or whatever, whatever the top speed of the Ferrari was. So they'd go from zero 55 flat out and they do zero when you have to fill up 55 when you had to, because there was police around flat out the rest of the time. And people are like, that seems like a really like your math doesn't add up. It's kind of weird, but it's it's probably possible. So the movie, I don't want to spoil it too much, goes in the whole explaining how all that worked out. But anyway, the short story is that uh, the movie 32 hours and seven minutes never officially came out. And when it did, it was like a really weird version of it that this woman, Corey Wells, had worked on a bunch of times. And supposedly people who saw it from reading an article about it, it was really disjointed and didn't make a lot of sense. And Alex Roy was really upset with it and they ended up suing her. Uh, And then like, I assume that he must have gained custody of all the footage at some point. And so the movie that exists now, this apex movie was put together by JF Moussel. I can never say his name, right? He's the one of the directors for like the drive. Yeah. And I've never, I've never heard his last name. I just call him JF. They just call him JF and smoke tire. So he edited it in a way that makes sense. Um, so but is the same, is it the same footage? It's a lot of the footage that Corey Wells gathered, but edited in a way that makes sense. Apparently because that movie, you, you can find 32 hours, seven minutes online. As a full movie, like bootleg copies of it, I guess you could try to watch it. I mean, the whole, the whole, the whole thing's, the whole thing's on YouTube. Yeah, so I guess you can watch it, but it's not. It doesn't make sense when you watch it. It's kind of weird. Hmm. I could, you could try watching it after you watch this. Yeah, no, I, uh, I just, I just googled it while we're sitting here talking about it, um, and IMDb has a page for it where it has an eight point two out of ten star rating, and it says yeah. it came out in twenty thirteen. Yeah. Directed by Corey Wells. Yeah, it's weird. So this, this apparently is the, I mean, this was a really great movie, uh, really well done. And, but she gathered a lot of the earlier footage from these guys that ran it in the eighties that had since passed away. So when you watch it, it's all, you can tell it's old. It's early HD movie. It's not like super right. clear, like modern stuff. So it's, it's definitely from like, so the Apex movie has got footage from the 308 attempt and from Alex Roy's attempt in the BMW? Yep. It's all oh. woven together to make sense. It's very, very cool. Like, all I, right. I definitely recommend it. I mean, I know you and I are both big fans of this, the Cannonball Run and this type of cross-country type yeah, of driving. Absolutely. So. In, in fact, maybe I should watch the the um, Burt Reynolds Cannonball Run as a primer just to remind myself. <laughs> yeah, if you want. I have a DVD copy of it, so I might as well. So the it was uh, probably my favorite movie as a kid. So yeah, definitely. So that's definitely that is right on the top of the odd off topic uh, must watch recommendation for movies. Uh, okay. And then for an 
a free movie you can watch that's only like 30 minutes long on YouTube. It's called I Just Push the Button. Yes, I haven't watched that either. I've been slacking. About WRC, WRC photographer Marcin Rebeck. I believe really, it's really bad with names. Marcin Rybeck. Marcin Rybeck. I believe he's Polish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's only 30 minutes, free on YouTube. I really liked it because I'm into rally photography. It's worth a watch if you have any interest in motorsports photography. Or photography, period, or motorsports. Yeah. But it's super, super quick, easy to consume, definitely worth a watch. So just wanted to mention those. Yeah, I need to watch both of those still because I haven't. And now I also probably want to watch this uh, 30 whatever hours, seven minutes, 32 hours, seven minutes movie as well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just I, I literally just found the whole thing is it's uploaded to YouTube in segments, but then they're all put in a group so you can watch it all the way through, which hmm. I'm sure is questionably legal, but it's there. Hmm. So I'll, I'll check well, it out. Might as well give it a watch. So we've been playing the video game Wreckfest. Yes. And uh, also recommended. Yeah. Kind of got kind of got us thinking about, um, you know, the. Daytona 24 hour, I always call it Daytona 24 hour, it should be the Rolex 24 hour, is the sort of the peak of American racing. And, um, but there's more grassroots stuff, like really grassroots stuff. Mm -hmm. And of course there's like SCCA type racing, which starts at like autocross and you can move all the way up from autocross to semi-pro racing through the SCCA. Um, but that's like very structured, lots of rules. Uh, and then you have stuff that's a little more homemade feeling. And it usually involves taking near junk cars or junk cars and doing all sorts of racing with them. That's kind of where that video game Wreckfest takes a lot of its inspiration from. There's levels in between that, too. I mean, you have one of my least favorite race series, unfortunately, to the chagrin of many um, unpopular opinions. Uh, the 24 Hours of Lemons is kind of... In between, yeah, I'd put that more now towards the SCCA type of, of racing that chumps. Yeah, and, when it first and, started, it was a little bit less regulated than it is now. Now that it's so popular, there's a lot more rule based. But I, some of the early rules of the 24 Hours of Lemons were based on some of these banger racing things that we're going to talk about. You know, the at the end of the race, the winning car can be sold and bought, or you know, somebody's car can be destroyed. All that kind of stuff was kind of part of the original. Which we'll get into when we get into talking about the racing here, but it's it's lost its way a little bit, I think. But well, I think a lot of people just didn't want that because they end up spending a lot of money on cars because Americans in general are competitive. So yeah. you want to win, so you'll either cheat or spend a bunch of money on your car just to win some silly like regional racing series. Yeah. Um, but the big takeaway from a lot of these grassroots stuff is that they're supposed to be cheap, cheap cheap basically the antithesis of top level endurance racing so correct you've got something like demo derby which is probably what most people would think of in the u.s Mm -hmm. and supposedly a man named larry mendelson is credited with popularizing popularizing demo derbies in starting in 1958 at new york's islip speedway Mm -hmm. um which it kind of makes sense for the time, right? So he kind of figured out that like, well, people like to watch the wrecks more than the actual racing. So then people started buying. I mean, it was, you got to think like how cheap it was to buy a big old American car 
1958. Well, in 1958, that's when <clears throat> um, American cars were still in the, they were changing a lot. You know, you go back to 10, 10 years prior, cars had just gone from like pontoon fender to slab sided. So there were tons of improvements being made every year in American cars. And people were just constantly buying new cars. You know, you, you bought a new car every two or three years and you could buy, yeah. you know, a used three-year-old car for a hundred bucks. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon to buy a $50, $50 car or a hundred dollar car. Um, so there were a lot of junk cars because nobody was thinking about saving these things in the future. Nobody was restoring 1940, you know, Fords no. in 1958. Or no, very it's few a 10-year-old. It's like having a 10-year-old Ford today. Like, you wouldn't restore it. Yeah, it would be like a 2009 Ford Fusion. Like, what are we going to do with it? We're going to enter a demolition derby, obviously. <laughs> exactly. So that, those are, I would say, they're probably pretty common through, like, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then, like, the U.S. ended up with, you'd get demo derby coverage on the wild world of sports. Mm-hmm. And I remember even back in the 90s on TNT, not TNT, TNN. TNN. They had uh, demo derby stuff, which was kind of cool. Yeah, it became, um, I think when Monster Jam started getting big, it was like a sideshow mm-hmm. of Monster Jam. They'd be demo derbies, and they'd be the tough truck competition, and then ATV racing. Right. Uh, and then you've got another thing that kind of came out around the same time, figure eight racing, mm-hmm. which is exactly what it sounds like you instead of running cars in an oval you run them in a figure eight and obviously when you cross so like originally they would just kind of cross over and then at some point someone was like well, what if we take the crossover out where they go above them like the track would go up and over and then we'll just let them smash into each other right <laughs> which this was also popularized with children among the same time with the hot Wheels set called crisscross crisscross crash do you remember that no it was one of those Hot Wheels sets that had the little plunger to make the car go. And then the, you had to try to beat the car through the X and then over the finish line or you crashed them in the middle. No, I remember slot cars had this set up, though. Which was a dumb idea because slot cars are too expensive to replace. <laughs> Compared to a Hot Wheels car. Yeah, I guess. And then you've got Banger Racing which is more of a British style of racing, I guess. Uh, and the idea is to turn laps versus just smash into each other. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, in where like road courses are more popular in Europe, you get people that want to run on a road course, but they want to run really cheap cars. So it was kind of limited to, you'd have to use something that was real drive, a four door sedan, nothing mid engined, um, so basically you end up with like four door family cars and then people just run them. Well, you have to remember too, that the British already had Rallycross, which was a higher mm-hmm. end version of the same. So their Rallycross was very much like world Rallycross that you see now where, but it was usually retired WRC cars. Uh, and they would run them in these, you know, dirt slash pavement race courses, um, and they'd beat and bang off each other all the time. But it was a very high-end sport to get into because they were literally used rally cars and WRC cars. So I think banger racing is almost a um, grassroots interpretation of that. Yeah. Because the reality comes down to it is car people just want to have fun with cars. Yeah. 
but they're also pretty frugal for the most of the time. Well, not that they're frugal. Not every... It's just most people can't afford to build an expensive race car. They want to have a, have a good time and not, you know, keep yeah. kids out of their fa- keep 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 food out of their kids' mouths. You know. Yeah. So, I was wondering about spectator drags. Is this like a New England thing? Yes, Seekonk Speedway. Yeah, yeah, that's. I've seen it like like up in Maine and then in Seekonk. Yeah. So specifically, like a New England thing. Yeah, it's it's very close to the banger racing, except you're not you're not supposed to crash into each other. No, but people do. Some people are assholes, and they do. Yeah. And there's some hilarious videos. But basically, it's kind of crazy because you're like, I'm going to take my street car. Yep. Now, it's one thing to go to like a grudge night at New England Dragway. Or an autocross. Or an autocross. And you both run your car down the drag strip and you're not supposed to hit each other. Like, that's understood. Yeah. Where where this is like you start on a either it can either be a paved oval or like a dirt oval. Yeah. It's it's literally door to door racing in your family car. Yeah, and I've seen Wild. some like really mismatched cars, like a an Evo versus like a rear wheel drive Camaro on the dirt. Yeah, and like somehow the Camaro keeps up decently. Yes, well, I know a few people who have participated in this, um, and it's it's kind of a, an unwritten rule at the beginning of the race that the competitors know what kind of competitor they're going against, um, and you're not expected to go out there in your nice car like the Evo. Uh, and be T-boned by some local yokel in an S10. Um, it's kind of an under. Yeah. It's kind of an understood. So I know um, friend of the show Leon, who's a DSM guy, has uh, runs his um, Mitsubishi Expo LRV or Eagle Eagle Summit yeah. actually the Eagle version of it. He runs it up there, much to the delight of the fans because they love it because it's a little tiny minivan. That has like a 500 all wheel horsepower 4G63 in it and annihilates everything. Um, and he's never had an incident there where somebody smashed into him. So right. it's, it's, it's generally understood that you don't do that. But then there are videos out there of a guy lining up in like a beautiful fourth gen Camaro or Firebird and some guy in a 86 Jeep Cherokee just as the green flag drops, the guy just turns right and just smashes him out of the race. Yeah. Which is like pretty ballsy <laughs> and pretty shitty too. Yeah. So yes, yeah, I know. I, I, funny. I know. I found another one where there was like it was on bangshift.com. It was about one in Maine where the two guys just end the race in a fist fight. Of course. <laughs> why? Why wouldn't you? And that was one of those ones too where I think I think I remember the one you're talking about. It was like a really nice Jeep Grand Cherokee, and the guy next to him like a pickup truck just smashed into him. No, this was a guy in a. Crappy Dodge pickup truck and a crappy Dodge Neon. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> like, why are they fighting each other? Right. Because they were drunk. <laughs> yeah. Which you're not supposed to be when you do spectator drags, but knowing where they take yeah. place, I'm not sure that's exactly the truth. But I was just like, I was wondering, I was just wondering, I was like, I think that's like a specifically New England thing, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I don't know about it anywhere else. It's, it's generally I, done with like junkyard bound Dodge Neons and Pontiac Grand Prix. Yeah. And, Dodge Ram pickup trucks. It's not generally uh, the the Seekonk Speedway one. You'll see some nicer stuff down there. Yeah, because then there's usually like a class for it where you can have, um, you know, like circle track cars, but they're made from like normal junk 
sedans. Right. It's like the step before they well, become um, demolition derby cars. Like I know Jordan Liz from Iron Oxide have bought parts from people that run circle tracks with Volkswagen like Mark IIs. Yep. Yeah, we bought actually the trailer they had came from a Scirocco racer. He's yeah. got a Volkswagen Scirocco body with a like a tube frame chassis under it. Yeah, and I think when the last guy that got another engine from had like a Mark II Golf with an ABA but with a big carb on it instead of the fuel injection. That's exactly what the Scirocco was set up like too. It was a like a Holly, you know, eight fifty on a little four cylinder. And the guy the guy was like all excited funny. to fire it up for us. We went to pick up the trailer. Inside of his trailer, just you know, straight piped four cylinder, big cam, you know, uh big carb. It was pretty ridiculous. Actually super nice guy, but he actually races at Seekonk. So anyway. And I think they used to do well, they still do it. The Halloween Holler. Yeah, that's at Star or Lee or Alt, Something like that. Star Speedway. But it's kind of like a, an enduro. So it's it's, it's actually similar race. to what we're eventually trying to get to the topic of here, which is the uh, banger racing in Europe. Because the point of the Halloween Howler, I mean, there's so many cars on track that they're almost lined up two by two all the way around the half mile. So there's not yeah. much room to do anything. Uh, and it pretty, traffic jam. it pretty much turns into a demo derby. Um, yeah. I know that the guy, I was involved with the building of one of these cars a long time ago. One of the mm-hmm. techs at the Mitsubishi dealer I used to work at built one out of an old Lincoln that was out back. Yeah. Um, and it was basically just like reinforce the bumpers, kick out all the glass except the windshield. Um, and then he made the mistake of <laughs> filling the entire trunk with cement. Okay. Because that would protect the car. And uh, <laughs> just drag it on the ground. And he quickly realized the car didn't move very well anymore with thousands of pounds of cement in there, hundreds of pounds of cement in the car. So, anyway, that was an offside. Story. <laughs> yeah, that was not fun. They tried to take the cement out of the truck. Um, yeah. So that brings me to my favorite version of this, which is folk racing. Correct. The Swedish version. Or, yeah. Well, yeah, it's very prevalent through all of Scandinavia. Which it it literally, I think the Finnish word translates to like racing for the everyman, um, and it's typically old Volvos and Saabs because it's what they have. And the coolest part, yeah, because it's the most prevalent thing. It's what everybody likes out there. Um, well, part of it is too that you need to have a real drive car or front wheel drive car. It just has to be two wheel mm-hmm. drive, and I'm sure old Volvos and Saabs are like a dollar out there. Um, and then the coolest part is that after the race, everyone's car is entered into a lottery or at the end of the day, uh, and anyone can buy into it for a really low fixed price. And then if enough people buy tickets, I guess it's usually five for a single car, then it gets raffled off. So like there is very little temptation to cheat with your car or spend a bunch of money on it because it could just... You might you might lose it a couple yeah, hours later. You might just lose it. Or like... If somebody likes your car, they can just buy it and then use it, which is kind of cool. Like, I kind of like this idea. Like, it makes it way more, like, for the people, I guess. I mean, every country has its um, redneck population, and they need something to do with cars, I guess. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know. It's like people get really carried away here in the U.S., even with like junk cars and racing them and they like spend a bunch of money on them, a bunch of time on them. 
And it seems like they literally just go out in Scandinavia here and just run them and hang out with their friends and fix them and then run them again. And it's kind of like, whatever, like you're not, you're encouraged to not smash into each other or like purposely T-bone anyone, you know, it happens, but, 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 it, but if you see like pictures of these cars, they've clearly been running to run into things in the past. Yeah. Yeah. You might knock off each other, but you're not supposed to like purposely. None of them have straight anyone. panels basically. Cause doc, there's a documentary about it. We can watch them and all of the cars are destroyed. Yeah, it's got that very like hand beaten panel look because yeah. it's been the, the panel's been beaten many many times back with a ball peen yep. hammer. It's just like got tons of little dimples on. It looks like an orange yeah, skin. Exactly, <laughs> it's really what it looks yeah. It's, like. it's basically like eight fifties, two forties, Saab nine thousands, um, and Saab nine hundreds just out beating and banging off of each other. I mean, again, to make the same analogy with Rallycross, it's very similar to Rallycross, just with cheap cars. You watch Rallycross, they have these quarter million dollar race cars that they beat and bang off each other at each turn. This is the same thing with a, you know, $300 beater. Yeah. So a lot of people talk about the giving cars a folk racing death or uh, like losing old cars to this type of stuff. Okay. So I don't know if you have any. I don't have any feelings about this. I mean, you already know I do. It's why I don't like lemons racing. Um, Yeah. I think there should be a set of standards that a car has to meet before it can be ceremoniously destroyed in any kind of on-purpose aggressive racing. But I am also strange and I have a very, like, I'm very sympathetic to old cars. I like to see them last forever. Not everybody shares my opinion, obviously. But I just, I have a really hard time, like, even when we talked about doing this subject for an episode, it kind of like pulled at my heartstrings a little because I think about all of the, you know, the big full-size American cars that have been destroyed over the years that were still obviously running that have been destroyed over the years through dem- derbies. And yeah. Listen, I get you can't save every car, and a, a very close friend of ours says, as long as one perfect example remains in a museum, who cares what happens to the rest? Um, yeah. I can't quite get that down with it. Um, but I also like to have fun in cars. Yeah. And during the research, I, I did find out. So the mid sixties Chrysler Imperial apparently is, is banned. Yeah. But apparently it's banned in a lot of these things. If you've managed to find one because it was like super resilient to demo oh, derbies really? and stuff. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I would love to find a very nice condition mid sixties Chrysler Imperial to drive on the street because that's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fair enough. I don't know. I just, I I have a hard time with it. I'm trying to not get, well, you know, it's, it's why I own a ton of cars because even though they're junk or not all of them, but a good number of them to a lot of people would be junk. I get emotionally attached and I can't, separate that from the car ownership you know i look at this old running volvo 240 and i'm like i want to drive that yeah well at least the big thing is that a lot of these cars you know the popularity is kind of down on these events but at least in the u.s but a lot of the cars that are available now are just crappy late 90s 2000s front wheel drive cars yeah from like there's a there's literally a million Toyota Camrys and like yeah no and there's no love lost for me with those crummy just, Chevy Malibus that can be just smashed into pieces. 
I, I, I guess I say there's no love loss with me, but I have this issue in my brain where I'm thinking 30 years down the road and I'm like, man, in 30 years, a 97 Corolla might be cool to me. Maybe. I mean, so, I, I know you won't be into like a 2000 Chevy Impala. I don't think I will be, but when it's 35 years old, maybe I'll be like, that's a clean one. I drive it. Man, I remember when those were new. They're so cool. Listen, so old people will eventually die and will eventually become old people. And we're going to act just like the old people do now as hard as you try not to. So no, it will happen. no, no, because all these muscle cars are still going to have the same style. And all these new cars don't have a lot of style to some of them. These newer commuter cars. I uh, see. That's that's the that's the old man mm-hmm. argument. All these new cars look the same. Yeah. Well, there's some cars, cars that don't have like in the fifties too. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Regardless, it's going to be. Oh, I just said regardless again. I'm getting called out on that. Damn it! I'm trying not to say that. Anyway, it's been. Right. That's the other one. What's that? Hmm? Huh? Drink. Oh, yeah, exactly. Take a drink. Brad said regardless, and then he followed up with anyway. Um, sure thing. Moving on. Moving on. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning I'm learning to respect this stuff a little more than I used to. Um, I still don't like lemons, and there's one car in particular that really bothers me in lemons. Okay. Two cars in particular okay. that really bother me, and they've made me hate the whole sport. Okay. There was a 40,000-mile 84 Starion. Right. That was sold by the owner's widow. And nobody local bought it. So she put it on the internet for sale. And it was sold to somebody. And they told her what they were going to do with it. And she was like, okay, just send me pictures. And I watched them take this, because they documented the whole thing online, this like 40 or 50,000 mile 84 Starion and just gut it and spray paint stripes on it and like I just I can't I can't do it that car needed to be preserved the car was perfect it was mint there wasn't a scratch or ding or a dent on the car this guy kept this thing in mint condition for its entire life and then 10 minutes after it sold the thing was blown apart and turned into a race car yeah I mean there's there is that if you bought it you can do what you want with it. If nobody else bought it, that's their fault that wanted to save it. Um, but I mean, I at least like to think I have an appreciation for what can be saved, what can be wrecked. Yeah, you do. And I do, but some people don't like the Mirage. If we ran a banger race with it, I wouldn't be sad about it. I'd be super amped at how much fun we had with it. And then I throw the car away. Well, that car deserved a Viking death. It didn't deserve to get T-boned by an unlicensed driver in a Ford Windstar. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that car, to me, that car had 225,000 miles on it. You know, we did a lot with that car. We rallied across the car. We TSD'd the car. We daily drove the car. We beat the car in the snow and the rain and the sun and the sand and everywhere. It had no life left. Yeah. So it should have been entered in some kind of speed competition to end its life. But unfortunately it was T-boned by a, a Windstar driver who has no license and is a city rep for the city of Salem. Mm-hmm. But anyway, but you're right. That's the kind of car that is, if that car was turned into a lemons car, good on it. That's yeah. what it deserves. But I've seen that Starian story on a couple of occasions and it just bothers me. 
All right, fair enough. Any, uh, and the people who are involved in Lemons don't seem to be genuine car people. That's why there's so much gimmick in the racing. Eh, maybe. It's, I know a lot of car people are into it. Yeah, but I also know a lot of people. I've met a lot of people who are into it who aren't car people. Yeah. So it's hard to, it's, uh, it's, it's a really hard thing for me. And I don't mind a car being turned into a race car that's treated nicely and kept as a nice race car. But you enter into a lemons race and it's not to be crude, but it's the bottom of the barrel. The car is going to get smashed into. It's going to get dented. It's going to get abused. It's just. That's why I'm more into like chump car or ADR for um, inexpensive racing series. Yeah, I just don't get it. But again, it's also super expensive. That's the other thing. I haven't done it because it's like lemons is very expensive. It's okay. not as cheap as you think it should be. No, they say to to rent a ride for a weekend is just, you know two or three grand now. Yeah, so I can't even like, and that's not to own the car. That's just to rent a spot on a team. Like to buy your way into a race team every weekend is you know a couple of grand. Yeah, so that's not. And then to have it like a questionable car that might break, you could spend two thousand dollars and not turn a lap. Yeah, that's my um, other problem with it. I'm not about that life. Yeah. No. I would I would rather have a car that you can go do a, and this is again personal opinion, so you know hate on me all you want, but this is how I look at it. Have a car that I own that I can take out and do a track night in America, a open track day somewhere, you know, uh, a road rally, uh, autocross, a drag night, all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, it's mine, <laughs> and I own it. And if I don't want to do the racing, great. And if I do want to do racing, great. But I also know that in general, those kinds of events aren't going to get my car wadded up. Well, that's why I like the idea of uh, stage rally a little bit more. You can slow yourself down a bit. Yeah, you can go as hard as you want or don't want. Yeah, and you're not. It's very. It would be very rare to have a car smash into you. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And also, the a, cu- a couple of things have gone wrong if you've contacted another competitor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. You know, generally the cars are the upkeep of the cars is much much better. So, well, there's a lot I more just, scrut- there's a lot more scrutineering in that too. I just like it better. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have no problem with it. Again, I wouldn't want to see that forty thousand mile Starion turned into a rally car either. But no. I mean, I I, I guess more, I'm I'm more just jealous about that car because I want to own that car. <laughs> I don't need more, but it. Mm-hmm. Jerks. Anyway. Going back to folk racing. Yeah. Back on topic. Do you have anything else to say about it? It seems, look, looking at the cars, they all look like the cars that have lived a good life. Um, that's not a place where rust doesn't eat cars, because it does. Um, so I think a lot of these cars are probably well past their prime. Um, it's a small area relatively to the United States with not as many people that own cars. Uh, a lot of the big towns there are car-free. Um, a lot of the, t- the big towns there that aren't car free are going full electric. So there's not much use for these cars anymore over there. So I guess it kind of maybe makes me a little less upset about it. Yeah. But eh. I don't know. I'm into it. It sure I is fun to play on a video game. So mm-hmm. we'll give it that. Well, the thing is, is that in most of those um, countries in that region, like licensing requirements are so strict that people are just better drivers in general and people are more into motorsport in general because they learn how to be a rally driver 
to get their driver's license. So it probably yep. leads towards the leads toward the popularity of it as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, neat. Right. it's called folk racing. There's a documentary on um, YouTube about it. I think it's called Vicious Volvos and Smashed Up Sobs. Yep. This is folk racing. Um, it's a neat 15 minute watch. Um, if you really love old Volvo 240s or a Saab 900s, you probably shouldn't watch it, but I'm hoping that they were all vehicles that were destined for the scrapyard anyway. And those Swedish engines seem to run forever. So even when a car goes to the junkyard, they probably usually still run. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a neat documentary. I, I would recommend that one too. Getting the, uh, project car updates. I've just been driving the Eclipse. Um, I don't know if I mentioned, I think I did mention I got center caps for it. Still haven't put them on, but mm-hmm. I got them. Um, I haven't done anything else, I don't think, to the car. So, nope. Yourself? I I did some uh, Scene Kid Laminex to my fog lights. I did see that. A little yellow. The, uh, all track. A little yellow fog light action. Yeah, it was really easy to install. Fog lights? Yellow fog lights in a snowstorm are the greatest thing ever. Yeah, or a rainstorm. Yeah. They're really much, much better. Yeah, they make, they make a lot of sense. Better. Also, they'll, they'll keep the fog lights from getting too chewed up. No, especially in the snow, I think, because it really accents the where the snow banks are, where the road is, because it's, it's a different mm-hmm. color than the snow itself. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I am a huge a huge proponent of yellow fog lamps. Um, I've always run them yellow bulbs and starions and conquests, and I have the big yep. yellow yellow ones on the front of the uh, the Colt. So, big fan. And then a random uh story so stephanie and i were out running errands the other day <laughs> and uh at this point the car had about 900 miles on it and we we're driving on some back roads up where near where we used to live and out of the corner of my eye i didn't even see it towards the center of the road it was like a bird like a big bird and then it like lifted a big up. bird was it yellow no <laughs> Uh, it started to like fly, but it was carrying something. I was like, what the hell? And we like, I like, it was too, it happened so fast. I like came off the gas. Couldn't even really slam on the brakes because there was people behind me. It was airlifting a dead squirrel from the road, like uh, driving by it. It scared it or it, like swooped down to grab it. And then I don't think it realized how heavy the squirrel was. <laughs> and so it splattered. It hit, I hit the squirrel that was being clutched by this like hawk with the windshield and it just dragged this dead squirrel up my windshield and then up and over. And I don't know what happened to the bird. I didn't look at the rear mirror. I'm like imagining the thing spun off like a tie fighter in star Wars. I assume it probably lost lost its grip on the squirrel. I would hope. Yeah. Well it, maybe it kept it because it only, there was nothing else in the roof of the car. Yeah. It just literally only touched the glass. Well, there, was, luckily. there was definitely some splattered blood and guts in your windshield in the picture you sent. So, yeah, and and didn't. I'm glad it didn't smash the windshield. Yeah, that'd be annoying. That would have been super annoying. Yeah. <laughs> your brand new car. That's such. That's such. It's covered, but yeah, but that's such a like one in a million chance accident. Yeah, I mean, I almost hit a turkey with the the Subaru a couple of years ago. Right, like I slowed down enough, and it did that weird turkey fly thing because it was in the road yeah. or tried to cross Where it the like road. jumps and, and then, like makes like a four foot flight. Yeah, like that would have been annoying a, a twenty five pound turkey in the hood of the car, yeah. but um, 
yeah, this was super random and like probably never ever happen again. Oh, let's hope it never happens again. Like, how do I hit? Yeah, I hit a squirrel, but I hit it with my windshield, <laughs> and it was and it was already dead. So now we've both hit something with the front of our Volkswagen wagons. Yeah. So mine's still not fixed yet. Project car update. Project car update. I finally have the claim all taken care of, but oh, I haven't. Uh, unfortunately, I need to spend five hundred dollars on my deductible, um, and I'm not in the position to do that because I want to put my extra cash into the suspension on the Eclipse. Oh, right. I think I'll wait until after the eclipse is done before I put the windshield, uh, not windshield, the noctable in to fix the front bumper on the Volkswagen. So mm-hmm. I might be driving around with it for a while with the cracked front bumper still, but whatever. Life goes on. All right. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. Sounds good. So as always, follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Top Podcast. Auto off topic on Instagram. Follow me. Follow me on Instagram at Race and Anger. Uh, go check out the Gearhead Project forums and join up. Been adding some stuff to there. And uh, yeah, I still haven't, but I finally took all my pictures off my camera to make a thread about the eclipse. Oh yeah, that's so typical of you. You like to take pictures and then never show them to anyone. Yeah, well, the secret there for me. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's yeah, that's all that matters. You're not doing it for the gram; you're doing it for you. Ten, ten years later, I share them. Be like, oh man, remember this day? Yeah. It's like uh, oh. finding old film in a drawer and having it developed. Exactly. I have like eight memory cards full of pictures, and have no idea what's on them. <laughs> you don't take digital pictures off your memory card. You just buy new memory cards. <laughs> Generally, yes. <laughs> well, storing them is annoying because I feel like if I store them. And what I store them on gets corrupted. I lose everything. I yeah. You could also put them into a cloud service like Flickr. Yeah, well, that's like a newer thing, and I'm still on like old school way of thought. Okay, all right. Uh, but anyway, digital memory cards are so cheap it doesn't matter. All right. So anyway, follow me on Instagram, where you can see the pictures that I take with my cell phone, because my camera pictures never come off the camera. That's right. At tsiss three five zero. Sounds good. And there will be some there will be some pictures coming up because I have made the effort of taking some pictures off of the camera and putting them onto the computer so that I could edit them and share them with I don't know, myself. Oh, and I did get the new sticker order in and some buttons that say auto off topic on them in our classic logo. And I'm waiting on, I should have them this week, some keychains. So stay tuned for those. I'm going to post it all at once, pictures of them. Um, and we're going to have a deal on those. So stay tuned for that. And I guess that's it. That makes a podcast, right? Yeah, sounds good to me, sir. All right. Keep cars analog and aim for the roses. <laughs>